Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. All right, everybody, first Sabbath of the month, Sabbath Evangelism Sabbath, and uh, we're continuing the study uh, or the series, The Present Truth, and the Three Angels' Messages. You have a study guide in your bulletin, so you can take that out. If you don't have one, there's, there should be some more still on the table in the front. And as usual, the, the words inside your blanks will be underlined on the screen. We are continuing in... This doesn't seem to be working, guys. The clicker. So if y'all can do something about this. Well, we are looking at the investigative judgment or the third part of the investigative judgment, and why do we need it? Why do we need the investigative judgment? Now, remember I told you this part of, the, uh, of, of the, what I'm talking about today is not covered in the book. It's not covered in the book because uh, after the book was published, I, I studied on this, and, but I thought that this was important enough to include it in the sermon series. So why do we need it? Why do we need the uh, investigative judgment. We'll start and we'll, we'll catch on on the PowerPoint. So, it was during the winter of 1951. During the winter of 1951, a mountain, or rather a Montana cafe owner named Char uh, Clarence Pellet, Clarence Pellet pulled up, uh, he pulled over and picked up a hitchhiker who appeared to be cold and he was frozen while walking during a snowstorm. And once in the car, the hitchhiker, Frank Dryman, pulled out a gun and ordered Pellet to get out of his vehicle and began firing his gun, killing Pellet. During the criminal trial, the angry defendant who easily admitted the crime but felt no repentance shouted at the judge saying, I'm going to kill you. Then he turns toward the jury, and he tells the jury, I'm going to kill you too. Well, as you can imagine, his, and, and during a trial, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. <laughs> no, no relation for, to, for him telling me I'm going to kill you, right? Sentenced to death by the noose. Uh, there you go. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's what it was used to be in, in those days. And... Uh, so, so Frank Dryman's life was supposed to end. That is, until he managed to escape a short time later during a parole hearing. And when he escaped, he vanished. Nobody could find him. However, in 2012, the invisible man had been cited thanks to the persistence, the perseverance of Pellet's grandson, Clem, who, who kept up the quest to seek justice in the face of all opposition. And Frank Dryman, you see them, him there on the screen, the, the young version and the old version, had been hiding in plain view for decades. He had conveniently left his family. He had, when he committed the crime, started a new family, moved to the state of Washington, altered his name, and was even, uh, even requested and was receiving his pension for serving in the military during World War II. And once he was arrested, Frank Dryman would go on to say, I had no fear 
To be honest, I didn't even remember the victim's name. You know, when something like this happens, a crime like this happens, it's such a horrible crime, we demand justice. Justice must be done. Because after all, there is a law that Frank Dryman has broken. He deserves to be punished. But you know, just as we earthly people, we're, we're sinful, but we earthly people have laws. We've made laws, and we govern according to these laws, friends. God, too, has laws. God, too, governs based on laws. And friends, God is just. God is just. And uh, since we've broken the law, there is justice to be done. Yes? Something is going to ask of us. We know because we've broken the commandments. We know what's going to be asked of us on the day of judgment, friends. And unless somebody stands in the gap, unless somebody stands in the gap, someone takes responsibility for our own sins, friends, we have no hope. Unless somebody stands in the gap, we're doomed. Because after all, we're all fugitives of the law. Just because we, we, we hide in plain view does not mean that justice will not be done. But now, in the last two uh, messages, last two sessions, uh, presentations, we've talked about the investigative judgment. We have concluded, based on our study of Scripture, that there's a judgment going on right now. And we, we based on our study of Daniel 8, Daniel 9, Revelation 10 and 11, we concluded that this judgment that going on right, that's going on right now started in 1844 at the conclusion of the 2300 years of Daniel 8 and 9. So we can take that to the bank. There is a judgment going on right now. But if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't matter. Uh, we believe in this, this invasive, uh, investigative judgment, but judgment makes us nervous. Nobody likes to be in the hot seat. Nobody likes to be the defendant. When there's a defendant, you can, you can, you can sympathize with the defendant. And furthermore, we're, we're talking about an investigative judgment. That means that we're in being investigated. Nobody likes to be investigated. You know, much of being said about uh, the investigations uh, done against the former president. And, and when, when an investigation is done, the implication is that there's something that this person did that deserves an investigation. Well, you and I are being investigated, and that brings, makes us nervous. Because we don't like to be investigated, because the implication is that we have done something wrong. You know, some feel that this doctrine of the investigative judgment, it... it, it it contradicts the assurance of salvation. In other words, some people say, well, if I believe in a doctrine such as the investigative judgment, I cannot have the assurance of salvation. That's how many people feel. This is where some people are, 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 are hanging their doubts, as it were. They're hanging their doubts because they understand, well, well I want to I be sure of my salvation, but I don't think I can have that with the doctrine of the investigative judgment. Now, I would say that the, the reason for this is because many of us over the years have misunderstood the reason or the why for an investigative judgment. Let me share with you a, a, a statement that sort of describes 
what a lot of people believe about the investigative judgment. Notice what it says. Again, this is not what I'm saying. This is what many people believe about the investigative judgment. Notice what it says. The judgment is going on in heaven right now. And our names may, may come up at any time. We can't know when, this, when that happens. But when it does, our names are blotted out of the book of life if we're not absolutely perfect. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you believe this is true? You can be honest. You guys are keeping your hands down because I know you, you, this is what you believe. You don't want to be honest. You don't, you don't want to admit it. But, but the reality is, uh, listen, I've been Adventist for some 33, 34 years. And for, for, for a long time, this is how I saw it. You know, think about it. At the end there, if we're not absolutely perfect, our names will be blotted out. And we, don't, we can't know. We don't know when, when, when our names comes up in the judgment. Now, we've talked about this concept of absolute perfection. We've talked about that already. We, and and if, um, if you haven't, you can uh, go on our YouTube channel and look for, a, uh, there's two sermons, A Perfect Reflection and a Pursuit of Holiness. They, they address these things. But we know that perfection does not necessarily mean sinlessness. It means that we, of course, when we accept Jesus, his righteousness is attributed to you. That's righteousness by faith. His perfectness is, becomes yours. And when we become a reflection of Jesus, we're perfect. Remember, we are seen like that, perfect, perfectly righteous, if we receive Jesus as our Savior. But, but the problem is uh, that, that, that this includes our effort. If I have not done enough to be absolutely perfect, I am, my name is going to be erased. And if my name is erased, notice, we are lost. We won't know it, and we may keep on struggling to be perfect, even though probation has closed for us, and we have no hope. In other words, you know, since I don't know when my name is going to come up in the judgment, it could be that, that since I'm not absolutely perfect, Jesus erases me, but I don't know it, so I keep coming to church, I keep trying and trying, and there's no hope because I'm lost anyway. That's, this is, this is the, 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 the common belief. And, 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 and if this is true about the investigative judgment, no wonder people don't have no assurance of salvation. Because it is indeed contrary to righteousness by faith. But friends, let's, um, let's start by, well, first of all, will there be an investigative judgment? I think we have concluded this clear, clearly in our study of Daniel 8 and 9 and Revelation 10 and 11. There is an investigative judgment. So, so what, what we need to ask, it, let's just take the word investigative out. Because I think this is what makes many people nervous. It makes people nervous, especially our critics. Investigative judgment. No, let's take that, that word out and ask, will there be a judgment? Are you sure? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Our scripture reading, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. For God will bring every work into what? Into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Every work, you know, it doesn't matter if it's good, it doesn't matter if it's bad, it's going to be brought up in a judgment. It's going to be brought up in a judgment. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. 
For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So notice clearly, and we could, there's a bunch of other verses that we talk about judgment. The reality is there is a judgment. We're not the only Christians who believe there's a judgment. Most Christians believe that there's a judgment. Again, the issue is this investigative part. Investigative part. But let's, let's think about this. Let, let, let's, let's try to think this logically. Logically. Every judgment in the free world, friends, is by its very nature investigative. Let me say that again because you didn't get it. Every judgment, it's by its very nature investigative. Every judgment. No matter what judgment, I mean, in our own judicial system, every judgment is investigative. Think about it. Charges are brought up by the prosecution. Yeah? The defense then presents evidence that it hopes will exonerate the defendant or at least get him a more favorable sentence. The jury then listens to all the evidence, and that evidence is presented because there's been an investigation that brought about the evidence. So they, they deliberate, they, they look at the evidence, they retire to deliberate. This whole process constitutes an investigation into the charges and countercharges for the purpose of reaching a verdict. There is an investigation. So notice that whether civil or criminal, right, every case every, in every court session is an investigative judgment. It's just common sense. It's just logical. And again, this is again where, where people have this issue with the investigative judgment. But again, if we analyze it, we see that every judgment is investigative in nature. Now remember, we, uh, we, we've talked about the last two sessions, we mentioned that there is Three phases to the judgment. Remember the three phases to the judgment. The first one, the pre-advent phase or investigative phase, what we're talking about today. Then we have the millennial phase. Remember, this is the phase uh, after Jesus comes, the righteous are in heaven. They're looking at the books. They're, they're evaluating the why they're there and the why those that aren't there aren't there. And then we have the executive phase or the execution phase, uh, uh, that last phase where, where, where God shows the wicked why they aren't saved, and then fire comes from heaven and devours them. Notice, we are not saying that there's three judgments. There's still one judgment. But that one judgment has three phases, just like every judgment in our own uh, judicial system. Three phases of the judgment. Today, of course, we're, we're addressing the investigative judgment, the why, the, the judgment that takes place before the second coming of Christ. And the prophet Daniel had a vision about this judgment. Let's read about it. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery flame issued, or rather stream issued, and came forth before, uh, from before him, a thousand thousands ministered to him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before, before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. This is clearly a judgment scene, okay? But I will add, this is clearly an investigative judgment scene. Now, now, other Christians that, that uh, are friends that, that, that criticize you know, our belief on investigative judgment, when they look at this passage, they understand this is talking about a judgment. 
So the, it, it's not only Seventh-day Adventists that look at this and say, well, this is a judgment. All the Christians believe the same thing. Okay? But I will say it's an investigative judgment. Why? Because there's books there. The books were open. What are these books? What's the purpose of these books that Danny all sees in this vision? Well, clearly, these books, friends, are some sort of record keeping. Some sort of record keeping is being is done in heaven. Now, uh, uh, are they literal books? You know, that's, that's who to say. I mean, clearly Daniel was shown books, but, but I don't think that if Daniel was shown an iPad, he would know what an iPad is. So he wrote books, but it, uh, we don't know exactly what it is. The point is there is some kind of record keeping in heaven. That seems uh, uh, straight enough. There is some kind of record keeping. Now, uh, you may wonder, well, why does God need record keeping? I mean, doesn't God know everything? Doesn't God remember all things? I mean, he's not going to forget. He doesn't need any record keeping. He doesn't need to be reminded. And that'd be true, right? But see, the books are not for God's purpose. or They're not for his benefit, I should say. They are for the benefit of those standing around him. They are thousands and thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 that are there around him. Notice that Daniel introduced the books immediately after his description of the angels and not immediately after his description of the Ancient of Days. Okay, so, so think about it. In our own judicial system, there is a jury. The jury, the, 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 the prosecutor, the, the, the defense lawyer is presenting all the evidence, gathered through an investigation, so the jury has all the right information and eventually make the decision. So now here, this presents a judgment, and there's clearly a jury. So, so, so this evidence, these books aren't for God's benefit, they're for their benefit. Why? Because angels aren't omniscient. Angels need a record of what's happened in the past in order to recall the information when they need it. And even if they can re remember the event, the event, like us, me, they may need a record to refresh their minds about the details. And so we, we see these books. What's written in these books? Well, notice the first thing. What kind of information there? The first is the book contains, these books contain a record of our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And notice it is the actions of God's people. All right? Everything is written there. Does that make you feel nervous? <laughs> because, I, you know, I, when you think about words, maybe we can measure our words and and bite our tongue, right? Or, well, hold on. See, that's the where, this is where the, the problem is. Our actions, maybe, but our thoughts, that's the problem. Because yeah, it's right up here. And nobody else knows what I'm thinking. And so, but God knows what you're thinking. So that's why I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a nerve-wracking to understand that, that those things that are on our minds that nobody else knows about it, God knows about it. And they're written on those, on those books. Our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We read about this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was uh, written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate in his name. So notice this book is, of remembrance is written for who? For those who... who, who uh, uh, fear the Lord and meditate in His name. So, God's people, the book of remembrance. And in there, everything is written. Everything is written. Now, these books clearly have been prepared for the purpose of judgment. Again, 
In any judge, in any trial, there is the evidence to be presented. There is records to be presented. Huh? Uh, uh, and so notice Revelation chapter 20. Chapter 20, verses uh, uh, 12 and 15, and it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, in context, we know that uh, Revelation 20 is talking about that last phase of the judgment. You know, because a thousand years are over. So last phase of the judgment. But notice that they are also being judged according to the evidence in these books. Okay? So everything is written here. So notice, again, they are prepared for the purpose of judgment. Because there's a judgment, these books are needed. These books are needed. And notice that some will, names will be retained in these books and some will be removed. And I think this is the part that makes some of us nervous. My name can be removed there. So and since I don't know when the judgment will take place, then, then it, it, it's possible it's already been removed for all I know. And I'm here wasting my time in the church. That's how, that's how some people see it. Friends, it, it, it's reasonable to suppose that God passes judgment on our thoughts, on our words, and on our actions the moment we think about them, the moment we say, and the moment we do. The moment he, he passes judgment. And since God is omniscient, that means that God knows everything. It's also reasonable to assume that he doesn't need to be reminded of the decisions that he has already made about us. Okay? And so whatever this judgment, notice, I, actually I forgot this passage here. Uh, uh, based on, on Psalm 69, verse 27 and 28, add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of living and not to be written with the righteous. And notice again, your, your name can be written there, but blotted out. Blotted out. So whatever judgment, notice this, whatever judgment will occur, and we know it's already happening based on our study, whatever judgment occurs before the second coming of Jesus is not for God's benefit, it is for the benefit of the angels and other created beings. It is for their benefit, because they're the jury. Now bringing something into judgment does not necessarily mean that God himself will be doing the judging in this particular trial. Again, even in our human court system, there's a jury as well as a judge, and the jury has to reach a conclusion as to the guilt and innocence of the person on trial. And this is where we see in Daniel this, these angels surrounding the throne of God. So I want you to think about this carefully because the, the argument that is often made is that with a doctrine such as that of the investigative judgment, one cannot have the assurance of salvation. But we've already concluded that we're not the only ones who believe in the judgment. So if a judgment, having a judgment uh, uh, causes you not to have the assurance of salvation, that we're not the only ones who, 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 who should have that problem. Anybody who believes in the judgment has to deal with the assurance of salvation. So notice, anyone who believes in the Bible's teaching that there's a final judgment has to deal with the assurance of salvation. That is, unless you believe in one saved, always saved. See, those who believe in one say what we say, well, if I accept Jesus, you know, one time, then it doesn't matter what I do, then I'm still going to be saved. But that still brings out a problem. Because if you're saved just by accepting Jesus so many years ago, even though you've never been to church and you've done whatever you want to do, but you, I was saved that back then, 
will there be a judgment for you? Well, the Bible says that everybody will be judged. So if you're saved already, why are you needing a judgment? The fact of the matter is there is a judgment for everybody. But again, if, if, we're, if our argument is that we can't have an assurance of salvation with, with the investigative judgment, that, 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 that's a problem for everybody because we already established that there is a judgment. Every single human being will be judged. But the fact that the investigative judgment does not, the fact is, I should say, that the investigative judgment, notice this, friends, this is important, does not decide who is, be, is, who is to be saved and who is to be lost. What, what does it do? It reveals. It reveals to the heavenly uh, uh, intelligences, angels surrounding the throne, and no doubt the intelligent beings that God has created, God's decision as to the salvation and condemnation of every human being. Remember, God already made that decision. The, the investigative judgment simply reveals to the heavenly intelligence what he has decided and why he decided it. There are decisions, notice, that God and Christ have already made. And, how, and why have they already made it? Because God already knows all things. But not the angels. God knows all things. This revelation vindicates the justice of God in saving those who believe in Jesus. Why? Because again, now the angels are reviewing the cases and, and God has already made these decisions and they will see why God has made those decisions. There's not going to be any doubt as to the reason why God saved you or did not saved. And remember, we talked about this. Remember, this first phase of the judgment is for those who have professed allegiance to Christ. Those who have professed having accepted God. And so... They are, he, God has made a decision about you. They, they need to know why. And, and, and why is that the case? Well, think about it. Satan has charged God of being unfair, in particular in how he judges. He's charged God of being unfair, but the investigative judgment will show that all God's decisions are just. And this is key to understanding the reason for the investigative judgment. As in any court, whether civil or criminal, there is a prosecutor. And what's the job of the prosecutor? What's the job of the prosecutor? Bring charges. See, see the main job of the prosecutor is to make, to make sure that you're declared guilty and punished. That's the reason. That's the main job of the prosecutor. And guess what? There's a prosecutor that is accusing us. Huh? Let, me show, let me show you Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast out. What does Satan do? He accuses you. He accuses you day and night. You could probably put there for the prosecutor of our brethren is prosecuting them before God day and night. There's a prosecutor in the judgment. Remember Zechariah chapter 3? Now Joshua's there, the high priest, and there's God, and there is Satan. Here's Satan. He's prosecuting. He wants Joshua to be declared guilty. He has filthy garments. But because Joshua has made God his Savior and Lord, Jesus Savior Lord, Jesus said, take those garments off and put these on. And because of, because of those garments, Satan had nothing to say. He quiet, Satan. He got nothing here. But guess what? That's, the scene is being repeated time after time with you, with you, with you. You are standing there before God and Satan is accusing you. He is accusing you. Huh? 
So notice, he, he, there he is right there. Huh? And think about it, if Satan, who thousands of years ago was so persuasive, think about it, Satan was so persuasive that a third of the angels in heaven were convinced to join him in his rebellion against God. And trust me when I tell you that he is equally as capable of presenting very persuasive arguments to the angels right now about you. Oh, I know what this guy did. Huh? Yeah, behind those closed doors, I was watching. And you know, Satan you know, ha has been doing this for such a long time, even though he can't necessarily read our thoughts, but he can cause circumstances to be molded in such a way that he can know where he's going to lead your thoughts. Because that's the way he starts. It starts right up here. And that translates into actions. Satan knows. He, he's been doing this for a very long time. And because he's so persuasive, this is why we need a mediator. There he is. Huh? We need an advocate. We need a lawyer that has not lost a case yet, and that's Jesus Christ. This is why this is important, because Satan is not going to give up. He's not going to give up. But again, why is this necessary? Well, I want you to think about this logically. If human beings have been infected with sin, and we have, what is to say that we won't introduce sin into heaven if we're allowed to get back up there? Think about it. We, we in our system, again, our system is not perfect. We lock up criminals because we don't want them to, you know, do with their things and, and, and be a menace to society, right? Once in a while, a parole board considers the case of a, of a prisoner, Right? And they evaluate it, and they decide that this particular prisoner is safe to be let out into society. And they let him out. Only to find out maybe a day or a week or a month later that he has committed another crime and has hurt somebody else, has killed somebody else. And when that happens, we question, why did they do that? Didn't they know any better? Why did they let him out? Well, I can assure you that if we have concerns in, this, uh, in, our, in our sinful society about these things, the angels in heaven are also concerned about being allowed to damage their perfect society if we get there. They have concerns. They have spent thousands of years looking at the devastation that sin has caused, and they don't want, it allowed, they don't want to allow it back in there. They, 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 were, they were there when it happened, when Satan rebelled and the third of the angels rebelled. They don't want that again. Yeah? They want to be sure that every person who enters heaven is safe to sin. Because what? Notice, the supreme issue in the great controversy for both God and the angels is to resolve the sin problem once and for all. God is not going to force the angels to accept anyone in heaven whom the angels have doubts about. And, and, and quite frankly, you wouldn't want to be there if there is any doubts about you. You wouldn't want to be there. Who would want to be in that environment? That you're not welcome there. And so to ensure that we are welcome in heaven by every uh, single angel, God lets them review the life of every single human being that he has already decided to enter into his kingdom. This is what the investigative judgment is about. The investigation is done. They are reviewing the records because they want to see why God allows you in. Because God already made that decision. This is not for God's benefit, it's for theirs. It's for theirs. 
The purpose of the investigative judgment is not because God somehow forgot to decide who was worthy to be saved. God has made that decision about the life, uh, uh, about the, the salvation of a person the moment that person lived and died. Because he knows all things, but the angels don't. Nor does this judgment give the angels some kind of veto power over God's decisions. Instead, the purpose of this judgment is to let the angels see the grounds for God's decision regarding each of his people. God wants them to be convinced not only that that he is just, that he has done justice, but that neither you nor I nor any other saved person will introduce rebellion into heaven again. This is why the judgment is needed. This is why the investigative judgment is needed. Because you see, love is the prime value of God's kingdom. And love requires trust. And trust, my friends, is based on evidence. And this is why, you know, there in the judgment that Daniel sees, the books were opened because it is in these books that the angels will see that evidence. And they'll be able to trust the decisions that God has made. Now, some people will will ask, you know, what about John 5, 24? John 5.24 says, More assuredly I say to you, he who loves my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Notice that John talks in a way that we can be certain about something. We can be certain about our salvation. But, so, so, but notice then, he has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So some people wonder, hold on. It it seems to say there that we are not going to be judged because this has not come into judgment. Well, depending on what version of the Bible you have, but um, this may be clear, uh, the word judgment is krisis in in the Greek, and that means not only judgment but condemnation. So, So that makes perfect sense in light of the fact that we can have the assurance of salvation that he has eternal life, and because he has eternal life, that person will not be condemned. This is what God is saying, that God's true people will not be condemned in the judgment because you've made a decision for him. You've made a decision for him. To the contrary, God has already acquitted them, but their cases will be considered in the judgment with the result that the angels will agree that God's acquittal for them has been justified. Has been justified. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. For we shall all, notice there, it's not some people, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us shall give an account himself of himself to God. You see, this is what the result will be at the end of the judgment. They will sing the song of Moses, servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, and they will say, great and marvelous are your works, your Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. But now some of you, I'm looking around, and some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, hold on. This looks a lot like once saved, always saved. Now, once saved, always saved. There are many Christians who, again, believe that this doctrine that teaches that it is not possible for a child of God to sin in such a way that he will be lost. 
This is what this belief entails. And many people find comfort in this. Find comfort in this. But friends, this doctrine is not taught in the Bible. Because we've already talked about this at you know, extensively, the fact that we still have a responsibility when we accept Christ. We have to walk with Him, okay? We have to abide in Him, okay? But, but friends, God had already made those decisions because God knows who you are. He knows what you, what you are, you are and, and He knows your sincerity. He knows that if you're consecrated, He knows those things. And He's already made those decisions. The investigative judge simply reveals them, reveals them to the jury. Let me remind you of this statement found in the Great Controversy, page uh, 480. I shared that, uh, this statement last time, but I think it's worth reminding. In the typical service, remember, the investigative judgment coincides with the Day of Atonement of the, in the heavenly sanctuary, or in the, in the earthly sanctuary. In the typical service, only those who had come before God with confession and repentance and whose sin through the blood of the sin offering were transferred to the sanctuary had a part in the service of the Day of Atonement. So in the great Day of Final Atonement and Investigative Judgment, the only cases considered are those who are a professed people of God. Notice it's important this profess people of God. Again, in, 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 there in, in the desert, in the tabernacle, when, when, when the Day of Atonement came, the only ones who benefited any, in any way from what happened in the Day of Atonement th were those who brought their sacrifices every day, right? When they sinned, they brought their sacrifices, confessed their sacrifice, and, and that sin was transferred to the sacrifice, and, this, and, and that animal died in their place. Of course, that represents Jesus. Only those who did that. Now, just because you were a member of the children of Israel didn't mean that you brought your sacrifice. And if you didn't bring your sacrifice, you were cut off from the people of God, which was a death sentence. So just because you're part of God's people does not necessarily... We talked about that this morning in our discipleship class. Just because you've been here all your life doesn't mean that you have a consecrated relationship with Jesus. And Jesus knows that because you're not fooling anybody. You may be fooling me, but doesn't fool God, God because he knows. So, again, only those who have accepted the, the substitute, Jesus Christ, are the ones benefited in the Day of Atonement, the investigative judgment. If you have not received Jesus as a Savior, then you, you, there's no benefit for you. There's no benefit for you. And so here, here is where we come into this place where our names are erased from the book. Because the moment we accept Christ, our names are written in that book. But at some point, God has already made a decision about it because he already knows. But the angels don't know this. And so the reason for the investigative judgment is because God has given them the opportunity to find out why he made the decision. You see, this, this happens in every phase of the judgment. In the investigative judgment, God gives the angels the opportunities to look at the evidence and, and review the decisions he made about you. During the millennium, the righteous are given that opportunity in heaven. They're looking at the books to see why they were saved and why the wicked weren't. And then during the executive phase of the judgment, he shows the wicked why they weren't saved. You see, God doesn't do anything in secret. But he's made those decisions. This is simply revealing. And so if you've accepted Christ at some point in your life, and your name is written in that book, because this is a profess, the professed people of God, 
But, but, but your life has shown that you've departed, that you weren't consecrated, that you were sincere enough. God already made that decision, but the angels need to see why. And if, and if the evidence show that you, you weren't walking with him, then that's why your, your name is taken out. But God already made that decision. The books, the evidence reveals the why. This is why the investigative judgment is so important, friends. If Jesus is our Savior and Lord, friends, let me remind you, because some of you are thinking, ah, but, but I did this and I did that. I'm struggling with this, Pastor. I find no victory in this. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, you say, if we confess our, sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even that sin that you are thinking about right now. It is because of Jesus. It is because of his blood. And so we think about the scene. There you are in a judgment. You're standing next to Jesus because Jesus is your, 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 your advocate, your lawyer. And there comes Satan. I know what you did. I got you now. Jesus says, my blood, Father. My blood, my blood, my blood. It is the blood of Jesus that has the power. This is why we can be certain of our salvation. Let's review. The judgment. It will be investigative in nature, just like all judgments are. Here on earth and clearly in heaven, all judgments are investigative. It will uh, include an examination of the lives of God's professed people. Remember, our thoughts, our deeds, our actions, our, our words, everything is in there. It will be for the benefit of the angels, not for the benefit of God, who passed judgment on the lives of the human beings at the time they lived. And it doesn't uh, threaten the assurance of salvation, uh, uh, or the, the assurance of God's acceptance, and that his people can have throughout their Christian walk. Because, again, it is natural. It is natural that if you are abiding in Jesus, if you're, still, if you're connected to the trunk, the trunk, the, you know, the branches are going to give fruit. It's natural to have that. And, and if that's your case, then you know, that will that'll be shown in the books. So, again, when it's all said and done, the investigative judgment is good news because God is simply corroborating the decisions that you've already made. That you've already made. If you, want, if, you, if you have not received Jesus, then that's the problem. If you have not received Jesus, then that the time is to do it now. Right now. Accept that lawyer. Accept that advocate. Because that's the only way you will be declared innocent. But if you've already done that, then you don't have nothing to fear. My blood, Father. My blood. My blood. And, and when you've done that, the evidence will show that. That will be written in the books, and when the angels just, uh, uh, you know, review it, they will exactly, see exactly why God has already made those decisions. Friends, as I said earlier, the problem that many people have with investigative judgment is this issue of, if I am not absolutely perfect. Notice that the, the, the people that have problems with the investigative judgment is because they're self-centered. Because it's all about me. If I don't do this, if I don't do that, let me tell you, friends, what needed to be done was done by Jesus already. For you, for me.
and, and, and one drop of Jesus' blood was sufficient. Come on, you see the scale right here. You have this sin and that sin on this side. It's weighing it down, but it came, comes the blood of, blood of Jesus and falls on this one and goes, whoop, all the way, all the way around. And so let me tell you today, first, if you have not received your Savior Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then again, it's time to do it now. And, and if you haven't done it, you know, uh, uh, we're going to listen to a song now. It's an oldie, and maybe some of you know it. It's called One Drop of Blood. And if you believe, you know, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, I've never done it. I want to do it now. Just stand where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come up front, but stand where you are. And then those of you who have already done this and want to reconsecrate, recommit your life to Jesus because that one drop of blood was shed for you. Now also stand as we listen to the song and then we'll have prayer at the end. One drop of blood is the name of the song. Silence 
One drop of blood, that's all it takes. And you can be sure of your salvation. Father, thank you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that today, today there are some who are wondering about their past and perhaps about their present. And yet, they're holding on to you. They're holding on to Christ. And Father, thank you because the, the, the good news of the gospel is that by receiving Jesus, he is our substitute. He stands in the gap. And because he stands in the gap, we have been declared innocent. We have been declared guiltless. And the righteousness of Christ becomes ours. Lord, it is our desire, Father, to walk with you. It is our desire that, that we don't take this for granted. But that in our lives, Lord, holding on to you, because we're holding on to you, because we're abiding in Jesus, our lives will show those fruits. And of course, that will be all written in the books. Oh, Lord, we look forward to the day when we are with you. And if we're there, it's because of that one drop of blood that fell into the scale in our time of judgment. We praise you, Lord. We glorify your name in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.